Trump will never be impeached. Never. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dalamore. All right, welcome to the show and thank you for joining us this 363rd episode of I Doubt It with Dalamore. I am your host, as always, Jesse Dalamore. And seated across from me, glass of wine in hand, the lovely, talented lady you've all come to grow and love, my beautiful co-host, Brittany Page. We're being watched. Being watched. That's, that is right. It's just a fact. This is our, as I just said to the chat room, the, this is our inaugural live stream yes. for our $10 a month and over tier of of patreon Mm -hmm. so we are now right now live streaming the show pockmarks and all they'll get to see the live version with all of the the mini Uh (laughs) fuck-ups uh-huh exactly now now i'm gonna be stressed out while i'm reading normally it's easy you're not normally stressed out no not when i'm reading but now i have People watching me while I'm reading. And well, just ignore that, that that's the thing. You just know, ignore that they're there. We all know that I can't pronounce names. And <laughs> sometimes I can't say the word anonymity. You just, you did it. No, I can do it when I'm not looking at it. Just, you need to lean into it. Yeah. It needs to be like part lean of the. Lean in, lean in. Aren't you ripping off someone's, isn't that someone saying? I, is it? Lean in. You don't Google it. We'll just say, yeah, it is. I don't know. Yeah, Cheryl Sandberg. Who's Cheryl Sandberg? She is the Facebook. Oh, yeah. Uh, she most certainly didn't invent the, the phrase lean into it. Chief operating officer. Her book is lean in. I knew it was. I knew it was. From oh, someone yeah. Prominent. I for sure yeah. r- ripped it off from Cheryl Sandberg. I don't know what you're reading. If I say go for it, am I ripping that off from somebody, too? Yeah. You betcha. Is that also <laughs> ripping it off from somebody? You know what? I am very passionate about um, people not plagiarizing Yeah, yeah. Things, I'm plagiarizing so. my 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 turns of phrase. Yes, yes. My Is that what it is? A turn of phrase? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So listen, uh, we were going to do kind of a normal intro segment today. There's all kinds of shit we could kind of talk about that's been going on. But late in the day today, uh, Roy Moore... <laughs> had a rally and uh i just damn. realized we're gonna start the show with this and end the and show, the, end the show with yeah it. but yeah. it's gonna get better toward the yeah, end it's so a just, positive just hang thing. in yeah. there we're gonna finish the, sh- finish the show with a taking care of biz relative to roy moore but uh anyway the, the, kayla moore is roy moore's husband is is his wife? Is his wife is is <laughs> is the wife of of Roy Moore? Anyway, yeah, goddamn. Mm-hmm. So she is. They are obviously hyper evangelical Christian. Yeah, they are nutter, but much like the lady from that that wife swap show. Mm-hmm. She's not a Christian. Very much like that. Is she like that? They are. You know, I they probably believe that that, that Harry Potter is devil worship. Okay. They they are much like my parents growing up where we couldn't watch Care Bears because they're casting spells out of their little bear tummies. Yeah. You know, 
science. Much like the lady who walked through the the, the Target that one year after the trans uh, bathroom controversy mm-hmm. started. Remember this lady? Are you gonna let the devil oh, rape your children, America? That very well could be Kayla Moore. It's a serious question. So there have been accusations, obviously, of racism and, and all kinds of terrible shit surrounding the Moors and what they believe. And Kayla Moore today introduced her husband at the rally and just had to get into talking about how they're not racist or, in this case, anti-Semitic. Fake news would tell you that we don't care for Jews. I tell you all this because I've seen it all, so I just want to set the record straight while they're here. Wait, 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 wait. While they're here? Does she mean, is she alluding to the Jew run media? Uh, Listen, I know the media is going to have you know or have you think we don't like the Jews. Yeah. She doesn't even say it nicely. Yeah. (laughs) That's terrible. And then, because they're here. Mm -hmm. I think, I'm pretty confident she means the mainstream media. Yeah. The fake news as you would have it. Yeah, I think that's what she meant, that that since the fake news is there, that she's going to tell them to their face. And she gives a wave that is... Smug and snarky. Yeah. (laughs) She continues. One of our attorneys is a Jew. We have very close friends that are Jewish and rabbis, and we also fellowship with them. Wow. You know, there's no no better defense to being called a racist or an anti-Semite than... I am definitely not a racist at all. There's nothing more to say. Well, no, we're not anti-Semitic. We have a Jew lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> One of our attorneys is a Jew. <laughs> They pay someone to do work for them. Wow. And he happens to be a Jew. Well, listen. So that's proof right there. We don't hate the Jews, y'all. One of our lawyers, we got a Jew lawyer. Them lawyers, them Jews, they're the best lawyers. <laughs> we don't mind the Jews. Well, he's he's been being called anti-Semitic for his comments about George Soros. Yeah. You know, George Soros, the guy who pays us. Oh, yeah. The, the big cash. We All his checks were cashing. Yeah. And all of the... <laughs> protesters and he's just hooking everybody up. because this it's is really libtard great. world headquarters like we announced last episode yeah and so apparently he said something about uh he implied something about jews going to hell um when he said that george soros was quote going to the same place that people who don't recognize god and morality and accept his salvation are going and that's not a good place <laughs> end quote wow and that's not a good place Wow. It's not a good place that he's going to go. That's. How many ways are there to step on your dick? Because <laughs> he's done it all. Uh-huh. Molesting kids. Check. Racist anti-Semitic shit. Check. His whole thing about, well, you know, if we could undo all the constitutional amendments except for the first 10, we'd be in good shape. Mm-hmm. Slavery. And equal equal protection under the law. And still, close race. <laughs> yeah. Cl- close race. No one knows what's going to happen well, on N- Tuesday. Nate Silver right now is laying odds that Doug Jones has about a 30% chance of winning. Hmm. 
which is astronomically good odds for a Democrat in a statewide race in Alabama. That, mm-hmm. Those are big-time good odds. What's going to turn the tide here is going to be turnout. If if blacks show up in ma- en masse, good thing. If women show up in good numbers, good thing. The problem is that, that he's going to have to pull more support, and the, the turnout is going to have to be as good as it was last time when Barack Obama went, ran for president, which doesn't bode well because of the fact that that is a a mainline election. A mainline election. This is a midterm, and it's, it's not just a midterm election. It's a special election. So... It is uh, all the cards are stacked against Doug Jones. Yeah, and he, Nate Silver, like you said, he said that more is favored, although not by much, like you said. And he said, like you said, oh, he said, like you said, um, <laughs> I'm being watched, uh, that <laughs> uh, about 30% is his chance. And that's what Donald Trump's chances were of winning the Electoral College. So. Wow. We'll see. Yeah. Maybe well, maybe Doug Jones will pull a Trump. Well, listen, I'm hoping so. I'm I'm uh, I, that could go either way there. Uh, I uh, I do have faith in the people of Alabama. I think that they're they're decent people. I mean, not all of them. One of our attorneys is a Jew. But there are certainly a decent percentage. Look, in the Dollamore listener group, someone posted um, advocating for some kind of a boycott of the state of Alabama and businesses there. Uh, if if Roy Moore is elected, and I would eh, I would caution everybody to maybe slow your roll a little bit because something like that is also going to punish the good people of Alabama who own businesses there, who are Democrats, who are not supporting Roy Moore, people who are absolutely in the Doug Jones camp, and to punish the state en masse would also punish you know innocent, decent people who are just victims of their geography. So something to think about. I don't know. Either way, I, I'm I'm generally uncomfortable with with boycotts, although I understand them because there's no better way to speak than with your wallet. People listen when you stop um, patronizing their business. Mm-hmm. So um, something to think about. I don't know. Anyway, uh, before we move on, let's get to a couple of voicemails. Starting with another one about rape culture and the current atmosphere. All kinds. Of, look, Ryan Lizza today. It was announced he got fired from the New Yorker. You'll remember Ryan Lizza was the reporter who had the conversation that was off the record slash on the record, whatever, with Scaramucci that ended up getting him fired. That is Ryan Lizza. He was a contributor on CNN. He's been fired from that. Uh, also, there was the chef. What's his name? Mario Batali. Mario Batali is stepping back from all of his res- restaurants and TV show. Yeah. What happened with that? Well, I he grabbed people and pulled them against him. and That's never good because that guy wears Crocs everywhere he goes. Well, so, so for, <laughs> for people who are concerned about, and I feel this is a legitimate concern, about people being like lumped together. Once it comes out that they are losing their job for sexual misconduct, they then become put in a pile with Harvey Weinstein, who was raping people. Meaning there's degree like what Louis C.K. did doesn't equate to what um, 
Weinstein did. And I think it's fair for people to have concerns about that happening, where yeah. everyone's just putting everyone in the same pile. Sure, so, sure. So for the people who want to do that or are concerned about that, Mario Batali was putting his hands on people. Yes. Grabbing them, groping them. As was Al Franken. So I want to drive that home. Yeah. So uh, he admitted to it, by the way, Mario Batali. He said that these stories match up with his experiences and he didn't deny them. And like you said, he's taking a step back. What's weird about this case, and I just read this from grubstreet.com. So it's a food blog. <laughs> yeah. They know a lot about what's going on in the food scene. And <laughs> he did. Nom, 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 nom. He was on a, um, a panel fighting sexual harassment in the workplace um, at a fast company innovation wait, festival. Wait, wait. He was on a panel. When when did this happen? Um, this was like six weeks ago. What? It's that, that happened since the, all the, the Weinstein stuff came out and he had the balls. Was that six weeks ago? It seems more recent than that, the Weinstein uh, thing. Well, well, it had to have been if they were having a panel about all this. Right, right, right yeah. Yeah, so... So he, he had the balls to take part in a panel knowing... He was a perpetrator of some level of sexual misconduct. Okay, not only that. Goddamn. He was on a panel with Jessica Alba and Plant Parenthood president Cecile Richards. Wow. Yeah. And one of the things he said, this is a quote, you need a workplace, a workplace free of fear that harbors an excellent feeling of the potential for collaboration and creativity. That's prick shit, bro. He's talking That's about a workplace free of fear yeah. while he is groping women and pulling them into him and rubbing himself on them. Really, dude? Yeah, that's... Because I th I always think I'm I'm wondering who's going to be next. I keep thinking who's going to be next, and when I when I think about that, I think who is sitting quietly, hoping that no one draws attention to the fact that yeah. they aren't talking about this or they aren't really acknowledging it. And I guess he just jumped in there. Like I guess the best approach is to act like nothing's going on. You're an ally, and here I am on this panel, Plant Parenthood. Yeah, you know. God damn. <laughs> That's weird, man. Yeah, it's it's very weird. Uh, there is. Uh, I do want to briefly have a conversation about this because I, I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, where are we now uh, on on you know people like Louis C.K. who did something terrible, mm -hmm. um, but doesn't rise to the to the level of like a a, a Weinstein? Mm -hmm. Where where on the scale are we going to allow them back into the fold? I'm not naming any names. Like Weinstein, no. He doesn't get back in. There's no amount of, of, of rehabilitation that's going to let me look at him in any other light than a rapist. Right. So, but, but where d d down allegedly. the scale... Allegedly. Where down the scale does... Can there be redemption? Mm -hmm. Sh should we banish them from our, our, our noble... Um, civilized society forever, right. or can they can they win everybody back over, make amends, do the work to to be a decent person again and be in good graces again? I think that's a conversation that needs to be had. I think so, definitely, and I I don't know what the answer is. Yeah, either do I. I think it's really difficult. It is a shame that many of these people. 
um, brought positive things to the world otherwise. Yeah, sure. Um, so it's hard to reconcile, you know, kind of like what Sarah Silverman said about Louis C.K. It's hard to reconcile this person that she loves with what he did, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and it's, it's kind of just working through this, but I don't know if we're the ones who should decide if they can come back into the fold. I mean, for sure not. And I'm not even saying this is a, this is something we need to work through now that that's, that's a long ways in the future. Well, I'm just, I thought that you were proposing a discussion cause you have a solution to the no, problem. No, so no, I, it's just, a, I mean, a I want to hear your solution. It's a conversation to be had, <laughs> okay. but you know, the, the, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I don't. It's especially not a conversation to be had yet, anyway, because we still have Donald Trump as president of the United States, right. and fucking Woody Allen, the alleged child molester who fucked his stepdaughter and married her. Fact. Even though it was a delayed alleged that all that is true. And he's still respected. And these feminist actresses get up there on the red carpet. And when they're asked about it, they, uh, uh, him and ha. Oh, I don't have a comment on that. That's cowardice. Yeah. Dylan Farrow wrote um, an op-ed in the LA Times. If you haven't read it, I suggest that you do. I guess we'll tweet it and post it on the Facebook page. Um, the title is, Why Has the Hashtag Me Too Revolution Spared Woody Allen? Great question. Great question. Especially since he just made a film. About uh, this very fucking thing. Yeah, with Kate Winslet, where Kate Winslet starts dating a man, and then he falls in love with her daughter or something. So he's making these movies. Woody Allen's writing what he knows. Yeah, he's making these movies about the things that he's done in the past. And like you said, uh, these, these actresses that work with him, they, when asked, they defend him. Or they say it's none of my business, you know, and yeah. Kate, Kate Winslet was asked. She said the same thing. In fact, Dylan uh, Farrow goes through this process of naming actresses that have worked with him, uh, giving quotes of what they have said about Harvey Weinstein, and then giving quotes when they are asked about the allegations against Woody Allen. And they have no problem talking about how important it is for women to come forward about Harvey Weinstein, you know, yeah. F Harvey Weinstein. And then... They are asked about Woody Allen, and it's oh, that's a family problem. I don't know those. Oh, that was a long time ago. He's a great director, you know. Ugh. Uh, it, listen, I don't think they're accessories or anything like that, but there's certainly there's some complicitness there of of the cover up, and that's strong. That's strong words, but I, strong feelings need to be had about this issue, especially where it relates to the abuse of children and he's been accused of molesting his daughter serial abuse year over year over year right and if you don't know the story about woody allen and the allegations against him from dylan then i suggest you go read that op-ed yeah. because she goes through it and actually links to um, evidence to back up the things that she's saying for example woody allen always cites some investigation uh, that supposedly discredited the allegations. However, that investigator never interviewed Dylan Farrell. Right. It was half-assed at best. So there's all kinds of like holes in the story where yeah. he tries to act like it's problem solved. Yeah. Anyway. So all that was a, tangent. <laughs> a giant segue into a voicemail. <laughs> 
uh, about rape culture and how we think about it and talk about it. Hey guys, it's Daria from New Hampshire. Um, been a while, but I just wanted to call in and talk a little bit about rape culture. Now, I know Jesse has been coming around to believing in rape culture, but I just wanted to kind of share a thought. Um, so, I think one of the main reasons that people are reluctant to uh, believe that there is a rape culture is because of the words rape culture itself, because the way it sounds, it sounds so extreme, it sounds so exaggerated, you know. It, rape culture sounds like this is something that we're doing so outwardly. So I feel like the word itself is a little, um, I don't know if that was a strategic thing for like the right wings to like, you know, make make it more exaggerated than it is, but I feel like the phrase itself, rape culture, makes it seem less believable to begin with. But Second of all, when you look past the the phrase itself and the term of art, um, if you see it more as what pretty much everything else is, if you see rape culture the same way that you see racism or sexism, as you see it as a structural and perpetual cycle of injustice, then that makes more sense. You know, instead of calling it a rape culture, if we called racism a I don't know, race culture, if we call sexism a sex culture, it, that's the way I like to think of it. Um, and so, and it makes sense, right? Because it's not just these little isolated incidents that necessarily, uh, determine what rape culture is. It's a collective. It's our implicit biases. It's the way that we structure the system that ultimately puts victims at a lower position and puts them at a disfavorable position. For example, you know, like college campuses, how hard it is to report, you know, that you were a victim of sexual assault, how hard it is to do that just in general, even not on college campuses, the amount of doubt, the amount of attacks that you can get. The defenses that say that, well, well, you're dressing too slutty. Um, the fact that if you go up against an athlete or a celebrity, you say that people are going to accuse you of ruining their careers. Um, it's, it's all of these little things that are combined. Oh, and also not to mention rape jokes. All of these little things combined kind of make up what rape culture is. And if we see it as the same way that we see racism or sexism or homophobia as a structural system of injustice, that makes it way more plausible in my mind because I admit that in the beginning, rape culture did not sound plausible to me just because of the phrase rape culture. But when it was explained, I mean, I believe in it now. But, yeah, anyways, love the show. You two are great. Hope you're having a good day. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love Daria. Um, let me say this. That might be the most well-explained um, three minutes on rape culture that I've ever heard. Yeah, also why people would be resistant to it, I think. It was a good way to explain yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. Too. Well, because yeah. I am, and that it is the like, listen. First of all, let me let me talk about the 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 word rape culture, the phrase rape culture. In modernity and in social justice circles, language changes to reflect a more accurate description. Mm -hmm. So it's, we don't call people of color colored anymore. Mm -hmm. They're African-American or people of color. There are different terms mm -hmm. that, that, that fall out of favor and fall into favor. And it's for accuracy's sake. 
we don't say transgendered. We say transgender. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason for that. Because they're not transgendered. They are transgender. It's a more accurate description. So when she's talking about how the word doesn't really describe what it is, I think someone, this is not my purview, but someone needs to come up with a better term that more accurately describes, goddamn, uh, that more accurately describes what rape culture is. And when she explains it and says that how we structure the system that makes it difficult to report crimes like this, that makes a lot, that resonates with me. That in college, it's very difficult to be believed and also navigate the system to get uh, a report filed. In Congress, we've learned it's a goddamn labyrinth. It's almost impossible. Well, now I'm wondering what your previous understanding was of the term. Well, rape, well, it's been explained to me by m- many different people. Well, well, here's like the official term, the definition. Okay. A society or environment whose prevailing social attitudes have the effect of normalizing or trivializing sexual assault and abuse. Was that your understanding of the term? Or do you take issue with that I definition? Take, I take issue with that because I'm coming around on on unrape culture, mm-hmm. and I still don't believe that we normalize it. Mm-hmm. Maybe trivialize. I, I don't know. I I, I still str- look. I'm I'm a work in progress on this topic. So. What about so for the normalizing part of it? What about the response? to like that many women have like that I was talking about on the last episode where I, I'm kind of going through this process of hearing these stories and I'm like oh yeah that's not a big deal you get groped when you're out in public that's what happens yeah um isn't that kind of like the normalizing angle where we just have lived in a society where women are touched and talk to differently and treated differently in that way in a sexually aggressive yeah. way and it's just kind of always been yeah that's what happens well, rather than men getting outraged continuously and not allowing it to happen it yes it it it, it harkens back to something that Emma from Minnesota listener Emma she said to me either in an email or a voicemail that was maybe you don't see the what we're using the term now, rape culture, because it's such um, something you can't fathom. You you would never dream of treating, putting. I would never dream of putting my hands on a woman mm-hmm. without consent, without their implicit consent. I would never grab a, a, a woman's ass at a bar just to do it. That mm-hmm. that what the fuck that 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 doesn't compute. Mm-hmm. So. Maybe that is the case. Maybe it is so rampant. You know, when Me Too happened and all these women came out, I knew your story. Mm -hmm. But I maybe just thought it was, and I haven't really processed it, but maybe I really just thought it was, ah, that's shitty. You know, Mm -hmm. Brittany wasn't attractive and, you know, a guy was a dick. He got fired for it. Well, that's kind of a Mm one-off. But then when the Me Too thing happened, it wasn't a one-off. I saw that. Right. That holy shit, this is fucking endemic. Mm-hmm. This is a widespread problem that absolutely has to be dealt with. Yeah. So that's why I'm coming around. Mm-hmm. Because it's way more widespread. It's not an isolated thing where one or two things happened. It's every woman I know 
Yeah. Well, and that's what's kind of um, exciting about the show is that we get to <laughs> work through these things and talk about them and eventually come around to the right way of being. Yes. Hopefully. All right. Daria, thank you for the voicemail. We appreciate it very much. Let's move on. Brandon. Uh, hi, this is Brandon from Saskatchewan, Canada. Um, I'm not really personally involved with American politics, but still America is a big force in the world, and anything that America does often affects Canada as well. And also I just have empathy for the American people and how their lives are going to turn out in the future and what kind of freedoms they're going to have. And lately I've just been feeling a drop in hope in modern politics. It seems like politicians have been bought out and there's no force or passion great enough to stop money from getting in and affecting politics and with net neutrality probably dying it seems like a major route of communication between progressives is shutting down um for the first time i'm not really feeling hopeful for the future it's starting to seem like you know the top part in movies where the bad guy takes over and I don't know if there's a hero in the end that can set us back on the right course I guess to Jesse and Brittany how do you guys keep so hopeful you guys sound genuinely hopeful for the future and I'm wondering where does that come from and how can other people obtain it because I'd like to feel hopeful for the future again uh, thank you very much and bye bye well, let me tell you about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> let me tell you, it, it's dark days, dark times when Canadians are kind of feeling <laughs> negative about shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. The most positive people on the goddamn planet. Yeah. Wow. Well, he even sounded positive while he was describing the despair. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, let me tell you about the da 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 da. That's my Canadian. It wasn't great. It wasn't. It's not as good as the others. They're not. All, they're not all great. Not as good. They're as the not others. all home runs, Brittany. Yeah, I can see that. Brandon, um, thank you for calling. Listen, um, let me put on my silver lining. I am learning apparently that I am a uh, a positive guy. Oh, generally positive outlook on things. Yeah. And the reason I am positive and the reason I don't share your pessimism or loss or losing, diminishing of hope is the fact that I do believe, like Martin Luther King Jr. said, that uh, the arc of the universe uh, bends toward justice, um, but it's, you know, it's a slow arc. It, it, the, 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 the war is a long war. Mm -hmm. We're getting there, though. And it's evidenced by, you can witness it in our judiciary right now. They are pushing back against Trump. He is not getting everything that he wants. There have been three right now, three achievements by the Trump administration. Recently, the Supreme Court allowed his travel ban to go into place. That's a win for Trump. His tax bill is progressing it is not passed all the way, though. That is a half a win for Trump. Neil Gorsuch was a win for Trump. Other than that, he hasn't gotten a goddamn thing done. There have been some administrative things and statutory things relative to the, 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 the different agencies that they're trying to get done. Mm -hmm. But 
real damage hasn't been done yet. And I have faith enough in our system to root out a monster like Donald Trump, to root out the influence and the philosophies that fuel him. Right. Also, don't forget his approval rating. <laughs> 32%. Yeah, so you, you got to have some faith in people, even though he was elected. He didn't win the popular vote. Well, that's another reason to be hopeful and that he didn't win the popular his vote. His approval rating is only going down. Yeah. So as people see, and even if they can't say it out loud, if they admit to themselves or to someone close to them that they've made a mistake, right? I've talked about it before, but everyone that was uh, in support of Donald Trump during the election, there's maybe two people on my friends list out of all those people that still post in support of Donald Trump. Everyone else? A little embarrassed. Crickets. (laughs) Okay. Because I think people are starting to realize... I made a mistake. Yeah. Right. But it's it's difficult to admit you made a mistake, number one. And then number two, you have to admit that the liberals were right the whole time because, well, we've been consistent. We've been saying the same thing. Right. (laughs) So you have to admit that might be the toughest thing to admit of all. Exactly. Admitting you're wrong already difficult and then admitting that what many people perceive as the enemy the side that you revile that they were right about it yeah and come on (laughs) i mean we're asking them to do something that's nearly impossible so amazing yeah (laughs) drew's here in spirit Brittany. so amazing yeah he is so that is it for the voicemails and the emails we appreciate it very much if you too would like to sound off communicate with the show 657-464-7609 of course you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to i doubt it at dollamore.com let's move on with the program support for i doubt it with dollamore comes from generous engaged intelligent and good-looking listeners like you by way of patreon Your support on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you would like to join the ever-growing family of supporters, please visit patreon.com slash idoubtitwithdollamore. So I will read the people who have edited their pledge first. Jack. Jack. And Selena. Selena. And now the new members of the Patreon family. Andrew. Andrew. Striving towards humanity. Striving towards humanity. I am assuming that is not your given name. Kaylee. Kaylee. And I forgot someone who edited their pledge, Elaine. Elaine. Yes. Very, very nice. We are seeing a little bit of a move toward people wanting uh, to take part. A big move. In this particular aspect of a, a perk. Yes. I was going to say a giveaway, but it's not a fucking giveaway. It is not. It's certainly a perk of being a Patreon supporter. Mm-hmm. And by this, since I'm, <laughs> this is fucking audio and no one sees, I'm talking about the live stream. Yeah. I am talking about the people who are watching us on YouTube right now and those who will do so at a later date because it will be archived. Mm-hmm. Watching us make the sausage. Brittany is elbow deep in the meat. Of the sausage making. No. (laughs) I am not. But also, don't forget, uh, dollamore.com slash Amazon. Yes. Holiday season. Yeah. It's getting closer to Christmas. We finally have it back. And And um, Hanukkah. Yeah. Don't forget to (laughs) do your holiday shopping because, of course, hashtag all holidays matter. One of our attorneys is a Jew. 
Everybody needs to be respectful. Yeah. Shop for your holiday shopping. <laughs> Little puberty voice there. Yikes. Good times. Moving on. Democracy facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. All right. Well, this is Russia news that we haven't covered up to this point. We've been behind and these shows really could be they could be two, two and a half hours long every single episode. Well, that's what would be great about hashtag third episode. It would be great. And even hashtag daily episode. Wow. Yeah. You're 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 that's unchartered territory, Brittany Page. Just seeing into the future. <laughs> Positive thinking. <laughs> well, we will forego that conversation until a later date. But there listen, the the Russia thing, people get down. Again, this is kind of one of those things where people are they're less hopeful than me. Because they don't see traction. They don't see progress. And I have said on this program several times, and I repeat it, don't get ahead of yourselves. When you have a man like Robert Mueller in charge, he's doing things by the book. That means meticulously. Justice moves slowly when you need evidence for prosecutions. Well, new information that we didn't previously have has come out Relative to that meeting on June 9th, 2016, between uh, Natalia Veselnitskaya, Donald Trump Jr., Paul Manafort, and the other participants, Jared Kushner was there, and these other Russian participants. Remember the meeting that was just about Russian adoption. Mm-hmm. Nothing else. Nothing to see here. Move along, everybody. Yeah, that they didn't tell anyone about because it was so inconsequential. They forgot about it. Yeah. It's, oh, yeah, no big deal. We were just meeting with Russians. Mm-hmm. When there was a giant controversy about it at the time. When days later, Donald Trump asked the Russians to dig up the emails from Hillary Clinton. They'd be rewarded mightily by our press. Well, some emails have now been revealed that show that the meeting wasn't about just adoption. We have some CNN exclusive breaking news for you right now on the Russia investigation and the question of whether the Trump team has been disclosing the whole truth about that June 2016 meeting that Donald Trump Jr. helped set up between the campaign and a woman he had been told was a Russian lawyer promising incriminating information about Hillary Clinton. Donald Trump Jr. testified before the House Intelligence Committee all day yesterday, where, among other questions, he was asked more about what was discussed at that meeting, CNN has learned. And as you may recall, Trump Jr. set up the meeting after receiving an email from music publicist Rob Goldstone, who works for a Russian pop star. The June 9th meeting was attended by Trump Jr., Jared Kushner, and campaign chair Paul Manafort in 2016, but after the public learned about this meeting earlier this year, which the Trump team had hidden from the American people for more than a year, Team Trump attempted to downplay it. First, they lied about what the meeting was about, then they claimed nothing happened at all at the meeting. There wasn't really follow-up because there was nothing there to follow up. It, you know, but as we were walking out, he said, listen, I'm sorry for that. There wasn't really follow-up. There was nothing there, Donald Trump Jr. said, but CNN has learned there were follow-up communications. CNN is reporting this right now, ones that congressional investigators are exploring to determine whether there was more to that June 9th, 2016 meeting at Trump Tower than has been disclosed. Telling. Very telling. 
Well, there's a second part to this. The media is doing a good job relative to covering these things. They make mistakes occasionally, and I think some of that is fueled by their rush to report to be the first because it is uh, there's a competition there. There's a ratings angle to this. Yeah, and there have been some unfortunate instances this week with this kind of stuff, and I'm hoping that there will be a little bit of slowing it down. I think so. I think in the wake of some of the mistakes that there will be. This story has another angle, though. I want to bring in CNN's Jim Shuto and Manu Raju on the Hill. They're breaking the story right now. Jim, to you first. Tell us more about what you're learning. What was this follow-up communication from that meeting? So, so headline here that there, these are previously undisclosed emails. They show that there were some follow-up communications about that meeting between some of the participants in that meeting, uh, specifically the British publicist who arranged that June 2016 meeting. His name, Rob Goldston, as Jake was saying there, sent multiple emails uh, both to a Russian participant and to a member of Donald Trump's inner circle and this is according to multiple sources who have read these emails, telling my colleague Manu Raju, Jeremy Herb, and I, the emails raising new questions for invest- congressional investigators, both regarding what was discussed at that meeting at Trump Tower, the subject of the conversations, as well as what communications there were in the days and weeks following that meeting. As Jake was saying, Trump Jr. has for months contended that after being promised he would get dirt on Hillary Clinton in Trump Tower, The brief meeting focused almost exclusively on the issue of Russian adoption, saying that there was no discussion with the participants after that session. No discussion at all. The emails were raised at Wednesday's classified hearing with Trump Jr. He told congressional investigators that he could not recall those interactions, several sources tell us. I should also note that the White House has declined to comment for this story, as did Rob Goldson's lawyer. And, And Manu, what specifically did the emails say? Well, one of these emails, Jake, uh, discusses a topic that we have actually not heard discussed before. The email actually from Goldstone to the form, to the senior Trump campaign aide, Dan Scavino, who's actually now one of President Trump's closest aides. And in this email uh, from Goldstone, it encourages Scavino to convince then-candidate Trump to create a page on the Russian social media site VK. And now he says, Goldstone says in this email that, quote, uh, that, quote, uh, Don and Paul were on board with this idea. Now, that's a reference to Donald Trump Jr. and Paul Manafort. Now, uh, what he, what we have now learning from our sources is that this was broached at that June 2016 meeting. At the end of this meeting, uh, Goldstone brought this up to both Paul Manafort and Donald Trump Jr. And that's the first time we're hearing about anything beyond uh, this issue of, of adoptions uh, being discussed at this meeting. Now, Jake, one source uh, who is familiar with this uh, with this situation says that Goldstone proposed this as a, quote, cute marketing idea. He said that it was simply an effort to try to appease a friend, an acquaintance uh, at a Russian social media site. We have not been able to determine at CNN whether or not there was any uh, page set up on that site, uh, VK. Uh, but, Jake, Goldstone pushed this idea with uh, some of the more senior members of the Trump campaign after the meeting. So this first part of their reporting isn't all that alarming. That they're trying to get him to have a fucking Russian Facebook page. It's not Facebook, but whatever it is. Mm -hmm. VK. VK. What, what, What is alarming about this is that this is another email that was previously undisclosed. Nope, that was it. That was it. Nothing was said after that. It was a weird meeting. We got nothing out of it. It was a total waste of time. 
Well, the second part of their reporting, as far as I'm concerned, the most important is the fact that that isn't all that was reported or that wasn't all that was talked about. And there, it, there's a part of this email that proves it, that what they talked about wasn't just about adoption. Okay, so one that's one of the follow-ups. And Jim, uh, you were telling me one of the emails also references the DNC hat? It does. Listen to this. This was an email that was dated June 14th, 2016, just five days after that Trump Tower meeting. And in it, Goldston forwarded a story actually from CNN on Russia's hacking of DNC emails to his client, Russian pop star Emin Agalarov and Ike Kavaladze, who both attended that meeting. They were, they were in that room in June 2016. And he described that news, again, a CNN story uh, of the just revealed news that Russia had hacked the DNC. He described that news to those Russians as, quote, eerily weird, given what they had discussed at Trump Tower five days earlier. Now, we reached out. One of the sources familiar with the content of the email downplayed that interaction, saying that news of the DNC hack was surprising because in the run-up to the Trump Tower meeting, the Russian participants had promised information on illicit funding of the DNC from Russia. Uh, but that dirt was not provided to Trump Jr., Kushner, and Manafort during the meeting. I should also add that Scott Bauber, he's an attorney for Kavaladze, uh, the, one of the other people on the other end of this email, he confirms that his client did receive that email, that forwarded CNN story on the DNC Russia hack, but reviewed it, viewed it as odd only because hacking was never discussed uh, in that meeting uh, there. That's the story that they have in response. And, and Manu, uh, Goldstone's going to be uh, interviewed. I Presumably he's going to be asked about this. In no question about it. We do expect him on Capitol Hill as soon as next week. Both the House and Senate Intelligence Committees do want to talk to him about his account of the meeting. And no question, these emails will be a focus as well, Jake. That is damning. One, it points to the fact that they are fucking lying. And lying to Congress. There was absolutely a conversation about material support from Russia and Russians to the Trump campaign. Otherwise, why would this Goldstone character say, wow, isn't that super eerie and weird? Right. That all this hacking stuff happened right after we talked about it with the Russians? Right. What the fuck? So give yourself hope, people. Calm down a little bit. Things are progressing. Things like this are pushing the needle into the red. Well, you have to wonder how long they think they can get away with saying, I do not recall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's what Donald Trump Jr. said when he went to testify between b- before the committee. And, I mean, they keep getting more information. And at some point, you're going to have to admit... Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, maybe I recall like some of this and it wasn't a big deal. Like Jeff Session did. That's exactly right. <laughs> you know, now I recall, but I didn't do anything wrong. Right, so right. it's fine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, this is pushing the needle into the red. Here is a uh, Democratic congressman, Castro, when asked about it by the worst Blitz over at CNN. <laughs> Whoop Blitzer asked him about it and he, he, had some things that they should be worried about. Five days after that Trump Tower meeting, Goldstone sent an email to two Russians who also attended the meeting. He attached the CNN story, as you heard from Jim Shuto, about the hacking of DNC emails, writing that it was, quote, eerily weird, 
given what they had talked about uh, during weird. that earlier meeting at Trump Tower. <laughs> Will you be asking Goldstone about this when he comes before your committee in the coming days? Uh, we absolutely will ask him about it. And in that email, there seems to be a kind of self-consciousness about uh, whatever they discussed, whatever they talked about, and whatever plans they may have made. So we certainly want to meet with Mr. Goldstone, and we're going to have that question for him and, and many others, too. Why do you think Goldstone wanted uh, President Trump to create a page on a Russian social uh, media networking website? <laughs> That's a great question, and we're going to be sure to ask him that. Uh, but this president and his campaign uh, have had an inordinate number of people with deep ties to Russia, not just uh, folks who happen to be Russian, but Russian oligarchs who are closely linked to Vladimir Putin and some of them to Russian intelligence services. So we need to see how he can help us get to the bottom of those relationships. Congressman, you just said uh, we're going to be seeing things equally disturbing in the coming days. What are you suggesting? <laughs> well, as you know, uh, I can't discuss uh, most of that stuff now. But, uh, you know, I told you months ago, and when I said it back then, I think it was considered a little bit brash. But I said, I think in April, that I thought that there would be people who would end up in jail. And, uh, and as I stand here now, I think that there are going to be some things that come out that will be very surprising and disturbing to the American people. Now, I don't know if that's just Democrat congressman bluster, mm -hmm. a guy who has his sights set on higher political office, it could be. It could be that. Or it could be that he knows some shit and doesn't want to reveal classified information and is setting the stage for people to be prepared. Stay tuned for who gets the rose next <laughs> week on the Russia investigation. Right after these messages. <laughs> so keep your head up. Hold your chin high. Progress is being made. Now we're going to switch gears. And I want to talk about a concerted effort that's being made on the part of Fox News. Oh, excuse me. Fox News. And many, to bring the truth to the people? That is right. To, to bring the truth to the people. Yeah. Hallelujah. <laughs> no. To disparage both the media and the inner workings of our Justice Department by way of the FBI. First, let's get to, we briefly talked about it earlier, um, the CNN correction about an email that was sent to Donald Trump and Donald Trump Jr. that offered WikiLeaks documents. And they misreported the date. They reported the date as September 4th, which would have been a big deal because it would have been prior to their public release. When in, in, in reality, their sources had it wrong, and it was September 14th. Mm -hmm. Now, this isn't malicious because these emails are eventually going to come out, and we're gonna everybody's going to know that it's the 14th. So why would they lie and say the 4th to try to damage credibility, knowing that when the emails were released, it would make them look like idiots? This was absolutely unintentional and a mistake. Right. We're actually correcting a story that we have been reporting uh, throughout the day today about an email that was sent uh, to the Trump campaign, to then-candidate Trump, Donald Trump Jr., 
uh, and others uh, during the heat of the campaign season. This email uh, included uh, a decryption key and also uh, some, and a link to where they could access some of these hacked WikiLeaks documents from the Democratic National Committee. Now, we've been reporting uh, that this uh, email came on September 4th. Uh, that was before uh, some of these documents uh, were publicly available, but we have just received, obtained a, a copy of this email. Uh, and instead, uh, we now learn that this, uh, this email was on September 14th. So that is 10 days uh, later than what we originally reported earlier today. And, and this is, appears to change the understanding uh, of this story because initially it seemed perhaps they were being offered access uh, to documents that were not yet publicly available. But in this email from an individual named Michael Erickson, they do direct the Trump campaign to some publicly available documents, hacked documents from WikiLeaks, as well as from the former Secretary of State, Colin Powell, saying that those documents are indeed available. Now, our initial reporting on that September 4th date was based on two sources who had seen this, this email, but that information was incorrect now based on a copy of the email that we have obtained uh, this afternoon. So, uh, so uh, Brooke, it just shows that uh, perhaps the initial understanding of what this email was uh, perhaps is not as significant as what we know now based on this email. We do know that Donald Trump Jr., when he testified before the House Intelligence Committee, was asked about this email. He said he had no knowledge of it, which we, we reported earlier as well. And uh, his attorney said he did not act uh, on the uh, offer to act, obtain these hacked emails. That's a statement that they continue to say today. Uh, but this email is, came on September 14th, not September 4th, as we said earlier, Brooke. So they're, they're covering their tracks. Immediately make it a correction. They caught the mistake. And then they corrected themselves. There's no ill intent here. There's no objective to sink the president. They're doing solid, honest reporting. And when they caught a mistake that they have made based on two individuals who are giving them information, two separate independent individuals gave them the same bad in, in, uh, information. They are not acting with malicious intent toward this administration. They are fucking reporting what is happening. Or as Sarah Huckabee Sanders said today, intentionally misleading the American public. I am glad you brought that up. Here is a clip of today. The White House press secretary, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, chastising the media, strong arming the media, being... A very difficult person to work with, we'll say. Matthew. Thanks, Sarah. Uh, the president reacted quite angrily over the weekend to a Washington Post reporter's tweet about crowd size that was quickly deleted. I'm wondering if you can help explain the discrepancy between the president's reaction to incidents like this, which he calls fake news uh, and talks quite a bit about, and his silence on actual disinformation campaigns like Russia ran uh, during the 2016 election to deliberately spread false information. So both his silence on that and does he recognize the difference between these two? 
difference uh look the president simply calling out uh a very direct and false accusation lodged against him there was nothing more than an individual trying to put their bias into their reporting um and something that frankly has gotten a little bit out of control we've seen it time and time again over the last couple of weeks uh, a number of outlets have had to retract and change and rewrite and make editors notes to a number of different stories uh, some of them with major impacts including moving markets this is a big problem and we think it's something that should be taken seriously Jim first of all I'm gonna stop it there for her to make a comment about their bad reporting moving markets is a goddamn joke because Donald Trump advocates for boycotting private businesses like ABC News private or public companies but publicly traded companies when a president when a man with the power of the presidency advocates for boycotts of his 40 million twitter followers that is something that moves markets when donald trump breathes a certain direction relative to business it can move markets which he does he doesn't hesitate to fuck with the market yeah I, I do want to say that there is an issue here where he asked about the reporter that tweeted about the crowd size. Dave Weigel from the Washington Post. Yes. And this actually is problematic because he deleted the tweet. Yeah. And he apologized. And this is just giving this White House ammunition. It's giving Sarah yeah. Huckabee Sanders ammunition to come out, get up on her high horse, and yell up from the moral high ground yeah, that she believes that she can stand on. Yeah, so it's it's problematic that this that this is happening. However, she is taking it too far, where it is not some coordinated attack with all of the news agencies to distribute fake news and intentionally mislead the public. Also, she brings up Brian Ross. Where's Brian Ross? He's sitting on his couch with fucking ketchup stains on his shirt, not at work, because he got fucking suspended without pay for a month. Yeah. There was there were consequences for his bad reporting. Yes, there were consequences, and... Was he intentionally misleading the American public? Was he intentionally doing that? I don't know. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes you talk to a source and they get it wrong. Sure. And then you verify with another person who also gets it wrong. I think that's going to happen. For sure. And I think that that can happen to someone who genuinely means well. This rant continues from Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Reporters' mistakes and Sorry, uh, disinformation campaign by a foreign government. Does he see a distinction there? I haven't spoken with him about that, but certainly we would take uh, any misinformation like that very seriously. Um, but it's not something we're comparing the two on. And, and I would just say, Sarah, that, that journalists make honest mistakes, and that doesn't make them fake news. But uh, the question that but when I journalists have, make honest mistakes, they should own up to them. Uh, sometimes. And a lot of times you don't. But there's a difference. There's a very big... I'm sorry. I'm not finished. There's a very big difference between making honest mistakes and purposefully misleading the American people. Something that happens regularly. You can't say, I'm not done. You cannot say... You cannot say that it's an honest mistake when you're purposely putting out information that you know to be false or when you're taking information that hasn't been validated that hasn't been uh, offered any credibility and that has been continually denied by a number of people including people with direct knowledge of an instance this is something uh, that 
I'm speaking about the number of reports that have taken place over the last couple of weeks. I'm simply stating that there should be a certain level of responsibility in that process. Brian, I called on Jim. This is not uh, the, the line of questioning that I was going down, but can you cite a specific story that you say is intentionally false, that was intentionally put out there to mislead the American people? Sure. The ABC report by Brian Ross, I think that was pretty misleading to the American people. And I think that it's very telling that that individual had to be suspended because of that reporting. I think that shows that the network took it seriously and recognized that it was a problem. Sarah, Jim? If I, if I may, though, I was going to ask a question uh, about something uh, else. Well, you used it on something well, else. Sarah, Jim? Sarah, if I may. Uh, Sarah, I not think today. We're going to keep moving, guys. If I can ask about the, the president's uh, accusations. I'm moving to a different gym. I'm sorry. I know, but I didn't get a, a chance to ask the, the question that I wanted to ask, which is, Jim, can you just say once and for all whether these Jim, I'm going to say once and for all that I'm moving on to Jim Stinson, and I'm not taking another question I, I from you at this point. Sarah, a question about investment. to your attacks on investment taxes. If that's okay, I would like to ask the question that I had about these accusations of misconduct against the president, you said that he's denied them. Can you say whether or not they are false? I'm not going to respond to Of course, she's not going to respond to that. A legitimate question asked by Jim Acosta from CNN, and there's no more adversarial relationship between Donald Trump and a media organization than there is between he and CNN. She's chastising the media from on high, from her perch, chastising the media with this righteous indignation while Trump is tweeting anti-Muslim tweets from a racist account, Britain First, Jada Franson, and then the videos turn out to be fake. One of the videos wasn't even a Muslim boy beating up the other boy. But she's going to challenge them about fake news, about lies, about falsehoods. Well, there was another Project Veritas situation, um, the James O'Keefe you know, yeah, the, the yeah. botched Washington Post thing. Right. There was one a couple months ago. James O'Keefe. There was one a couple months ago related to the Russia investigation. And she said, I don't know whether or not that video is presenting truth, but I, w- I would encourage every American to go watch it. And she said right. that from her podium. And, and she's saying that <laughs> this is so important, this issue. But the president lies constantly. And she's saying it's important for it to be corrected. The record needs to be corrected and there needs to be an apology. When has Donald Trump ever corrected the record? When does he apologize for being wrong? Right. So she's telling she's telling them to do that. The only time the only time Donald Trump has ever apologized was after the pussy tape and he was forced in his hostage video and he said, I was I'm sorry. But they can't even ask her questions about Donald Trump's lies. Yeah. So it isn't I'm not trying to make an argument of, well, he's not behaving. We shouldn't have to behave either. I'm saying they can't even ask her questions yeah. about his lies because her she will job, shut them down. Her job is to answer questions. Not only that, she's talking about Brian Ross and he's suspended over his report because he made a mistake. Catch up on the shirt. And she's saying the fact that this person was suspended means a lot. But then you ask about Paul Manafort and Michael Flynn and you start asking her questions about these people and they try to minimize the issue. So someone being charged with a felony, being arrested by the FBI, that's not a big deal, but Brian Ross getting suspended for uh, inaccurate reporting, big deal. We all need to take note. Right. Serious, Uh, serious problem. Well, this brings us to the other part of the very insane thing that's happening, dangerous thing that's happening And that is how the White House 
and its surrogates, especially over at Fox News, are attacking the FBI on a daily basis. Let me play you a few examples that have happened over the course of the last seven to eight days, and then we'll talk about it. Here is Judge Janine Pirro. For the better part of the last year, you and I have watched together as members of Congress beat their chest every time they have a hearing. Well, I, for one, am tired of investigations, politicians posturing. (laughs) Something more has to be done. The stench coming out of the Justice Department and the FBI is like that of a third world country where money and bullies and clubs decide elections. It all started when Cardinal Comey destroyed our FBI with political hacks to set events in motion to destroy the republic because they didn't like the man we chose to be our president. Well, it's time to take them out in cuffs. And that's my open. Tell me what you think on my Facebook page, Twitter, and Instagram. Hashtag Judge (laughs) Janine. So hashtag judge Janine, everybody, so, you know, you know, Joe Walsh. Yeah. The nutter butter. Yeah. That wackadoo who's always uh, tweeting just former Illinois congressman. The craziest thing. Yes. Um, he was like, if 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 Hillary wins, we need to pick up our rifles, pick up our muskets he, and take to the streets. He is a radical fellow. Yeah, he is. He tweeted when I grew up, the FBI were the good guys and the Soviet Union were the bad guys. I watch Fox News today, and they tell me the FBI are the bad guys, and Russia and Russia are the good guys. Such bullshit. And, and by the way, at Fox News, Robert Mueller is an American hero, Marine, vet, Vietnam veteran. He has dedicated his life to serving this country and keeping Americans and America safe. Quit badmouthing him. Cut it out. He's serious. You see, that's Joe Walsh. Yeah. Yes. Nutter butter extraordinaire. Yes. Buddies with Tommy Lahren. She's always retweeting his tweets. I'm assuming not these ones. Probably not these ones. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, in the beginning of her thing, she gave an eight minute opening statement that was all about this. And she talked about a cleansing. They always use this very weird language that is so hyperbolic. But then at the end there, we need to take them out in cuffs. (laughs) It's like when I do the allegedly. Yeah. He's allegedly a dirty, filthy child molester. Yeah. I mean, we need to take them out. That's not how you do it usually, but um, in handcuffs. Yeah. We have the gist of it. (laughs) The jizz. Yeah. Did we already play the clip about the cleansing? No, that's at the beginning. I said this. I just played the like the last minute of her thing. Oh, okay. Because it's an eight minute long fucking diatribe. Right. But she also where she talks about the cleansing. Yeah. She talks about the cleansing, which I think is kind of harkens back to the Nazi era. I does mean, it not? I, well, you can't be talking like that. Right. God damn. Why are you? What, what made her choose that? They're word? just so tone deaf, man. And then she's calling for these. She names specific people, puts their pictures up, goes through the whole thing. Andrew McCabe. Yeah. She wants to be arrested. Mm-hmm. For what? You fucking Looney Tune. God damn. Well, and here's the sad part is that millions of people watch her show. Millions of people watch her yeah, show. Yeah, sure. And they aren't getting other information probably many yeah, of them they, they're they are just fox news viewers and so they're listening to her i mean she has a responsibility 
And she is not using that no. in the way that she should. Advocating her role, it, for sure. It is very disappointing because she could be doing some good, like Shepard Smith. Um, but she's choosing to make make everything so much worse. Here is another example of former Speaker of the House of Representatives, Newt Gingrich, with even stronger language about the Federal Bureau of Investigation which is run by the Department of Justice, which is run by Jeff Sessions, who is run by Donald goddamn Trump. If Hillary had not lost, we would be mired in the deepest level of corruption in American history. Mueller is corrupt. The senior FBI is corrupt. The system is corrupt. And until you get back up and say, you realize how really truly corrupt this is. I mean, there's a sickness here. My, my granddaughter Maggie got me to a fascinating book about murder in Osage County in the 1920s. And everybody in the county law enforcement was corrupt. And the people who came in, ironically, were the FBI, who were the honest outsiders. What you now have is the Osage County corruption at the level of Comey, and Mueller and that entire system. And I mean, I, I think it is frightening. If you believe in the rule of law and you believe in America, what we are learning is genuinely frightening. Okay, so that was Newt Gingrich recently. Yeah, and, yeah, within a week. Yeah, and on May 17th of this year... <laughs> yeah, goddamn. At 5.17 p.m., he tweeted... Robert Mueller is a superb choice to be special counsel. His reputation is impeccable for honesty and integrity. Media should now calm down. No, Brittany, he's corrupt to the core. So we have another oh. we have another Lindsey Graham moment. Though, yeah. Where this was he's six kook, months ago. A kook and unfit for office. Six months ago, he's talking about superb. You only use the word superb when you really mean it. Um, impeccable honesty and, and integrity, calling for the media to calm down. And six months later, this is what he's saying. Yes. That Mueller's corrupt. Well, I thought he had impeccable integrity. Right. No, what the hell happened? Corrupt. It only takes that long to become corrupted, Brittany Page, because the system is rigged. Uh, Goddamn. Here's Don Lemon and Brian Stelter at, at uh, CNN talking about Fox News and how they are going after in a concerted effort against Robert Mueller. Brian, um, there's been a huge rise in anti-Mueller and FBI rhetoric from right-wing media recently. I don't know. I've been paying attention. It's just shocking to watch. Yeah, yeah. And it, I mean, it, it's got to be coordinated because they're all saying the exact same thing. Some of the same people who praised some of the members of the FBI and the FBI not that long ago. Here, uh, Watch this. Mueller is frankly a disgrace to the American justice system and has put the country now on the brink of becoming a banana republic. The Mueller investigation is illegitimate and corrupt. And Mueller has been using the FBI as a political weapon. And the FBI has become America's secret police, secret surveillance, wiretapping, intimidation, harassment and threats. It's like the old KGB that comes for you in the dark of the night, banging through your door. Mueller's stooges literally are doing everything within their power and then some to try and remove President Trump from office. 
Is this a concerted effort, you think, to discredit Mueller? Yes, and remember, this is what President Trump's watching every morning yeah. and every night. That's why I think it matters. He's being told on a daily basis, going back months, but especially right now, they're out to get you. This investigation is bogus. It is out to reverse the election. They're trying to impeach you. And that message over and over and over again, it must have an impact not just on President Trump, but also on his aides and on his supporters. That's why I think it's so troubling. And I wish, Don, I wish Asha could go on Fox and say what she just said, because the problem with shows like Hannity is that we're not hearing the other side. We're not hearing the reality of what it's like inside the FBI. No, no, no. I, I disagree with you on that. Spin. No, I disagree when you said we're not hearing it. We are hearing it. Yes, I'm sorry. But they, Fox viewers are not hearing it. The people in Alabama, it. conservative viewers are not hearing right, it. Now, they're hopefully just, they're turning the channel and hearing all sides. But unfortunately, too often, folks on the left and the right live in bubbles. And right now on the right, that bubble is an alternative reality. It is very intense right now. It's really weird. And I wondered, and listen, I used to uh, watch Fox all the time. And we would talk about it. And people would ask me, why do you watch Fox so much? I said, well, you need to know what they're doing. I watch everyone. Right. And now I just... I, it's it's embarrassing. And if we get it to the point where Mueller's I fired have many friends or over there. something <laughs> happens and we're in a constitutional crisis, it will be partly because of this rhetoric, partly because of this daily drumbeat of anti-Mueller. But I wonder, do you think they know what d- a disservice they're doing to oh, the American voting public? And I know they're, the gonna, they're probably going to play this, and this is not personal. You can play it all day long on Fox and whatever show. It's not personal, but... You, you, one wonders, as a journalist, and right. some of them are not, some of them are hosts, and they will admit that. I'm not saying anything disparaging. Right, right, right. But how they can sit there and um, do such a disservice to the voting public, because we're supposed to be informing people, and they're not. Yeah, Newt Gingrich is saying there should be an investigation of the investigation yeah. six months after he praised Mueller. Yeah. Whether or not they know they're doing a disservice, it is a disservice to the audience. Yeah. Because after all, uh, Mueller, in the case of this one FBI agent who was removed over the summer, yeah. he was removed. He is no longer in the investigation. They for sure fucking know what they're doing. And this is why they're doing what they're doing. They're setting the stage by implicating Mueller as corrupt over and over, day after day, hour after hour. They are trying to set the stage so if Donald Trump does fire Robert Mueller, a vast swath of America will believe that it was because he was corrupted. Because they live in an alternate reality, Fox News viewers. If they are exclusively Fox News viewers, they are only hearing that. They don't know. The credibility of the investigation, the credibility of the information that is being brought to light on an almost weekly basis. Didn't Donald Trump try to give Pirro a job in his administration? Like deputy? Maybe. Something? I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me because they're close. Yeah. But that is what they're setting the stage for. Right. Because if Donald Trump decides... It won't be such a shock. They're trying to mitigate a situation like what happened with with Richard Nixon when he fired the assistant uh, Department of Justice head, the assistant attorney general. That is a problem. And Fox is complicit because just like Andy Levy said on a, a previous episode, they are the Trump News Network. There's no way to deny that. 
Yeah, well, and and I don't know if if you guys read the New York Times article that talked about uh, how many Diet Cokes Donald Trump drinks a day. Twelve! But it also uh, (laughs) talked about his TV viewing habits. And it's not just Fox News. So amazing. (laughs) It's not just Fox News that he watches. He does watch CNN and MSNBC, although they make him angry. And uh, I think they talked about in the article how his staff believes that he uses those shows to, like... (laughs) I don't know, pep himself up, get angry for the day. Yeah. Um, and that sometimes he'll record them and then watch them later <laughs> Jesus. Um, and just make himself angry. So it's not just that he's only watching Fox News. He is watching the other shows, but he's not taking the information in. He's just getting pissed off. It's hate watching. Yeah. Yeah. Goddamn. Taking care of biz. Nathan Mathis. Nathan Mathis. Now, I was scrolling through my Twitter feed, and I saw this video of this guy, and he uh, looked like a Roy Moore supporter, and I stopped to watch the video. Alabama voter. Right. He was out in front of the rally, and he was not. He uh, went to the rally tonight to protest Roy Moore, and he was interviewed, and he told a little bit of his story to the reporters there. My name is Nathan Mathis. My daughter was Penny Sue Mathis. That's her right there. Judge Roy Moore called her a pervert on one reason, because she was gay. If he called her a pervert, he called your child a pervert if she was gay or your son was gay. This is something people need to stop and think about. You're supposed to uphold the Constitution Constitution said all men are created equal. Well, how's my daughter a prevert just because she was gay? Does it mean she was born gay? I don't know the answer to that. But she was gay. There she is. Are you a man of faith? Am I a man of faith? Yes. I am. Being out here tonight, what do you hope to accomplish? I don't know what I'll accomplish. I really don't. I had mixed emotions about coming, but somebody needs to speak up. And if it's all to no avail, so be it. It won't be the first time I've done something to no avail, okay? But my sign there speaks for itself, and my sign is true. Sir? How far of a drive was this for you? I'm only about 15 and 20 miles away. I was born here in Millen City. Sir, are you suggesting that... The suicide of your daughter was because of no I'm not like suggesting I'm not suggesting that I was anti-gay myself I said bad things to my daughter myself which I regret but I can't take back what happened to my daughter but stuff like saying my daughter's a prevert sure I'm sure that bothered her now you know judge Moore not just said my daughter he didn't call my daughter by name. He said all gay people are perverts, abominations. That's not true. We don't need a person like that representing us in Washington. That's why I'm here. How long ago did you lose your daughter? Ma'am, I don't remember the remember the year. It's been a let's see. I'll be totally wrong. Right now I'm cold and nervous I'm too. Sorry. We're sorry. 
So this this video was really hard to watch. Heartbreaking. Um, it's difficult to listen to. Uh, this is someone who went to this Roy Moore rally and I'm sure was an outlier. Bearing his soul. Was in the minority there. Yeah. Um, telling his story. And he has a very real personal connection to this issue. And um, people... He's, he's also not some liberal. No, no. Um, people found... People dug up who he was and, and found this uh, letter that he wrote in 2012 to a local newspaper. And it's online. Uh, we'll put a link to this on the page as well. And he wrote about his daughter a little bit more in detail. Um, and he starts the letter saying, this is from 2012, quote, with election time just around the corner and watching and reading the news, gay bashing has begun again. I once told gay jokes and bashed gays, but a real true life story might make people think just as that true life story makes me think. And he goes on to tell the story about his daughter and says, quote, Patty took her own life because she didn't want to be gay anymore. She was tired of being ridiculed and made fun of. She was tired of seeing how a lot of people treat gay people. I found Patty that day. Wow. So this caused him, though, to take a step back and question what he had been told. Yeah. Question the things that he had been saying. He let in new information. Yes. And so he wrote this letter basically to people in his town to think before they talk. And he he says that, you know, he believes if they had children in this situation that they would think differently, that they would speak differently. And I think it's important for someone like him to come out and speak to people and get his story out there. And I, I think it's powerful that he did that. This is one more reason, Brandon from Canada, to stay hopeful. This man, this old man who lost his daughter to suicide changed his mind. You know, the the adage that you that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. This old dog was taught new tricks. And she she died in 1995. Yeah. So, some time has passed. But he is still out there holding a picture of her telling her story. Powerful. Yeah. Well, Nathan Mathis taking care of biz. We will put that article, like Brittany said, on the Facebook page, and we will leave you there. That is good news, <laughs> but uh, sometimes the feels are even attached to the good news. So... We love you guys. We appreciate you. This has been episode 363. We're getting up there, Brittany Page. We really are. It's like we're a legitimate podcast or something. Oh, my God. <laughs> Weird. So anyway, we will see you next time. Listen again. Do your Hanukkah shopping. Do your Christmas shopping. Your your Kwanzaa. Do people Kwanzaa shop? Christmas Hanukkah Kwanzaa. Christmas Hanukkah Kwanzaa. Dollamore.com slash Amazon every little bit goes a long way towards supporting your favorite show filled with news news and ridiculous comment. We will see you next time and we love you guys. For Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore and this has been I Doubt It. One of our attorneys is a Jew.